the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. And I just want to make sure and, and say this as well. We've actually been having special prayer for you, even this morning, if today is a hard day. We're aware that a lot of times um, holidays actually kind of bring pain to the surface. And if, if I won't even list all the possibilities why Mother's Day might be hard for some people. But if that's you, we're not expecting you to fake it. We're not expecting you to pretend this is your favorite day of the whole year and nothing's wrong. Uh, we want to be there for you regardless. But since it is Mother's Day, and we do have a lot of wonderful mothers among us, I do want to say this. Motherhood in the scripture is a wonderful illustration of what we're actually talking about today, which is righteousness, the righteousness of God. Righteousness throughout the scriptures is stuff that God loves, the stuff that God kind of naturally does because that's who he is and what he believes in. It's the designs he created for us, the way he set things up to work. It's the designs he created to fix things and get things back on track. If they're not the way we meet each other's needs, I could go on and on. But righteousness is the stuff that we do that pleases God. And if you know a good mom, anywhere, anybody, I'm telling you, you, you've seen some good stuff happen. None of us would be here without somebody playing that role. Are you with me so far? Are we good? Okay, we're going to dig right into God's word from, from the beginning. And this may sound like an unlikely place to start, but I think it'll make sense by the end of this morning. Revelation 3.16 says, <clears throat> So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. We're supposed to talk about righteousness, right? Well, we are. Hold on. See, context is everything. If I were to tell you today that I had heard somebody here in Kingston, a mom had put her kid in a waterproof basket and kind of just launched them out into the middle of Wattsboro Lake, hoping that somehow they might have a better life. How many here would say, man, what a great mom. We should talk about that at church. But, but you've probably heard a story from Exodus chapter 2 all the way near the beginning of the Bible about Moses' mom, whose name was Jochebed. And in context, she had him in secret to save his life. She kept him a secret as long as she possibly could. And then she hand-wove and hand waterproof this little basket and put him out, not just out into the ocean. I know you've seen the Prince of Egypt, but that's not how it happened. It looked really cool on the cartoon. She put him out in the nice calm water with his older sister babysitting, just on the other side of the bulrushes where his sister was, because she knew that Pharaoh's daughter was going to come and bathe there. She knew the rhythm. This was a smart lady. And as soon as she comes down, goes, oh, what a cute baby. Miriam pops out. I know somebody could take care of him for you. And in context, we go, oh, that's what a good mom looks like. Context makes all the difference. Making sense? So what's the context of that passage? Revelation 3.16 again. So, and anytime you see in the Bible a verse that starts with so, or therefore, or furthermore, or something like that, you always need to go back and see what happened before that. So that's what we're going to do. Revelation is a wonderful book. It's a vision that God gave to John on the Isle of Patmos. It was sent out, distributed to all the churches. Seven of the churches of that day were actually highlighted at the beginning of this book. They each got a little letter from Jesus. 
And each one of these letters follows the same format. Jesus identifies himself to each one of them in a very specific way that meant something to them. That's the first part. Then he notices something about them. He says, hey, most of the time, not every time, but most of the time he goes, hey, good job on this. I noticed you're not doing this. I noticed you're doing this. Good job. Then he says, in every single one, he says, but I need you to work on this. I need you to, I need you to change this. And then it concludes with a, a challenge. If you do that, if you'll change this, here's what's going to happen on the other side of that. Gives him some sort of promise. Everyone follows that including the letter to Laodicea, which is where that verse happens. So let's start with verse 14. To the angel of the church of Laodicea, write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Jesus is saying, I am your ultimate authority, pay attention. I know your works. Now this is where in some of the other letters you think he's going to go into, you did this and this and this, but watch what he says. I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot, whether you were either cold or hot, so that because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, how many have ever heard this verse broke down before? And the idea was how much you care about God. Like cold means you don't care that much about God. Hot means you really care about God. Lukewarm means you don't care that much. Have you heard this one before? Uh, John Piper is an amazing author, and he articulates that view like this. Better to be totally outside the church and clearly, blatantly, unhypocritically unbelieving than to be a compromised believer who puts on all the pretenses. Does that make any sense to you guys? I'm sorry, it doesn't to me. Why would Jesus have come and died for sinners if God was okay with us being sinners? Why would God have gone to all the trouble to restore us as his children if God's really okay with his, everybody being his enemies? If the only thing that really messes God up is if we're just kind of a little bit not that excited sometimes. Really? I think the context needs to matter. So I've been digging this my whole life, and recently I've been able to find some, some stuff that's made it uh, make a lot more sense to me. Laodicea is in the Lyker, Lycus River Valley in what we now call Turkey. They were very proud of a bunch of things. We know a lot about them because you can still go visit their ruins and you can um, read a bunch about them. They were on a major trade route, several major trade routes. There's a lot outside of the Bible that we know about Laodicea. One of the things they were really proud about was their irrigation system. They didn't have any natural water nearby, so they had figured out a way to pipe it in from miles and miles and miles away. But they were the only people that were impressed by it. Because by the time it filtered through all these like stone pipes from miles and miles and miles away, it was lukewarm and full of a whole bunch of contaminants and just gross. Have you ever gone to someplace else, uh, maybe on vacation, and tried the tap water and just been like, <clears throat> Okay, that was what everybody joked about, about Laodicea in this day. And just to the north, just a couple miles north, there was a place called Heriopolis. 
In Heriopolis, people came from miles around. It was a place they'd go on vacation almost because they had hot springs and they were healing hot springs full of minerals and people would go and they would wash in them. They would bathe in them. They would drink the water. They would, it was wonderful. And just south of Laodicea was a place called Colossae. We see Colossae a lot in the Bible. They actually have their own book, Colossians, okay? And Colossae was known for this wonderful, beautiful place. You can go visit it still today where it had this huge, massive, natural cold spring. And people would come from miles around to get this good, clean, refreshing water. So there was this running joke that Laodicea, they're so proud of their water, but it's really just lukewarm. It's really just gaggy. So you get a letter from Jesus in Laodicea, first century, and he says this, I know your works, the stuff that you're doing, You're neither cold nor hot. Oh, that you were either cold or hot. But because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. What would you think if you were a Laodicean? You'd think of the joke, right? You'd think maybe he wishes I was doing something differently. Maybe he's unsatisfied with how I'm living my life. I'd like for you to repeat this after me, or actually just say it with me. Uh, righteousness. Uh, there's a, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. I'm sorry. That guy, I, I've... <laughs> I'll get this. When I was growing up, there was this uh, cool Mountain Dew commercial. I don't know if anybody remembers it or not. Whether you like Mountain Dew or not, or, you know, that's not the point. But, buddy, they would be drinking these ice-cold Mountain Dews and jumping into mountain lakes and they'd be singing about give me a do you know, anybody remember that and they'd jump off this cliff Woo-hoo! and you're like man i want to feel like that i'm going to drink some mountain dew that's that's that was the idea refreshing cold good and if you know me at all you know i like coffee you know i like hot drinks i also like hot showers hot tubs anybody else with me on any of those things but lukewarm no I'm just going to be straight up with you. If you hand me a lukewarm bottle of water on a hot day, I'm going to go, thank you. I'll wait. Righteousness refreshes and restores. This is part of what we need to know about what Jesus calls righteousness. The stuff that God designs, the things that he sets up, the ways that he fixes things when we mess it up, it's going to do some specific things. And every single time you're going to see a couple of trends, we're going to look at those today. Let's say it with me. Righteousness refreshes and restores. Just like ice cold water or ice cold Mountain Dew or hot soothing water in a hot tub or in your coffee cup, it does something good. And when you see great stories in the Bible about somebody that's called righteous, you see these kind of trends happening. For example, let's, it's Mother's Day, so let's go to some of the moms. There was this lady named Naomi. You probably heard of her and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Naomi goes to uh, this place called Moab to escape a famine. Her husband, both her sons die after they've already married there and been a long time. How many have ever heard this story before? Sorry, I'm racing through it. It's in the book of Ruth, four chapters. You can read it really quick. You should. It's good. But the bottom line is this. There comes this moment 
where she decides to go home. There's food back where she came from. She decides to go home and she does the right thing in that culture. She tells her daughters-in-law, listen, you need to stay here and you need to start over. In their, in their law, believe it or not, the, if somebody died, a, a man died, his widow was required to marry his brother and keep the line going. And she goes, listen, <laughs> can't do that. I, I don't even have any kids. If I had a kid today, like, just think about this for a second. Just go home. And so the one lady, she does a good thing. Orpah's not a villain. She goes, okay, thank you. I love you. I'm, I'm gone. She cries, but she goes. But Ruth, she says something that normally you don't hear mother-in-laws and daughter-in-laws saying to each other. In fact, they say what Ruth's words in weddings to this day. That, uh, you've heard it, I'm sure, that whole thing about where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And what happens in this scene, this amazing, powerful scene, is both of their lives shift from tragedy to something amazing. A completely new thing starts. They start an adventure together. They team up. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what the ending's going to look like, but they're going to ride this thing out together. And they start doing that. They are refreshed. They are restored even before the good stuff starts happening. And they get home. They start making friends. They get food. And eventually, if you cut to the end, spoiler alert, if you never heard this story, but Ruth marries this guy named Boaz. They have a kid named Obed. Obed has a kid named Jesse. Jesse has a kid named David. And Ruth, the foreigner, ends up in the line of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Talk about refreshing and restoring, just changing everything. But that's how God works. When you make a promise to somebody and you keep it, when you go out of your way to just make something good happen, that's righteousness. Back to Laodicea for a second. They were known for three things in that culture back then. Three things, and you can read about this all over the place. It's not really that much in the Bible, but you can see it in the Bible when you know these things about them. They were very rich. Uh, They were known for their banking and exchanging money. They were really good at making cloth, and they specialized in this really dark, lush kind of black cloth. And they also were pretty good at medicine as medicine existed back then, especially a specific kind of eye salve. So again, you're hearing this letter from Jesus being read to you in Laodicea and listen to his next words. For you say, I am rich. What's the for? For that thing about the hot and cold that we just looked at. We'll come back to it in a second. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. And I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. That's kind of a stingy kind of a letter, isn't it? Wait a second. We think we're doing pretty good and we're gagging you? We think we're great. There's a well-documented story about an earthquake that happened around AD 60. And the Roman Empire offered to help Laodicea fix everything. And they go, no, we got this. We don't want to be in any kind of debt to you guys. We'll fix it ourselves. And they did. They had the wealth and the resources to get it done. And here they are getting this letter from Jesus. And he goes, 
None of this stuff that you're putting in your faith matters to me. It's kind of scary. But if you squint just a little bit, what what, what Jesus is actually calling them to is the same stuff he always calls us to. Every time Jesus talks about what he expects from us, it's about making a really good tangible difference in the world. It's not about being proud or being excited that we're so right about certain things. It's not about how we feel when we worship or how we feel when we do certain things. It's about actually doing good. That's why he called us the salt of the earth, the light of the world. That's why he said we have to bear fruit. Does any of that sound familiar? He expects us to do something with the blessings that we're giving. He blesses so that we can bless. Obviously, we cannot be saved without Jesus. We can't be saved just by works. And yet, as always, we see works right next to every single time he talks about saving somebody. It's always part of it. We're saved from sin into righteousness, from being God's enemies into being his friends and his co-workers, his teammates. When Jesus comes back, here's part of what Jesus said would happen. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Is that something we earned? No, it's from our father and we inherit it. It's something he gives us. We can't earn that. But watch what happens right after that. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Tangible righteousness happening out in the world. God's people doing good things, doing godly things. Are we tracking so far? So righteousness refreshes and restores. Here's what else it does. Sometimes we need really radical new beginnings. And so righteousness also does this. Say it with me. Righteousness repents and recommits. Sometimes we get so far off track, we just have to stop for a minute and say, wow, I'm so sorry. And reboot. And thank God he gives us ways to do that. He gives, gives us ways to do that for the first time when we come to him. He gives us ways to do that infinite times when we just fall away a little bit. And by the way, those of you who are amening the lukewarm thing, that idea is all the way through scripture. The idea that we just stop caring and God doesn't like that. The idea that we just kind of coast through life, not being something Jesus likes. That's biblical. That's real. You're not real. I'm just trying to get to the bottom of what this verse means. Are you with me on this? And I really believe it's more on these lines. But righteousness repents and it recommits. Because sometimes we distort God's ideas and we break his rules and we abandon his designs altogether. And then we come crawling back like the prodigal son or we get found by Jesus like the lost sheep or like the coin that the woman found. These sound familiar to you as well? He has these ideas. He has these things going on where he's glad. I I believe that's part of why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are all these people that look to us like those are the suffering people. 
Well, guess what? They're this close to actually reconnecting with God. They're this close to experiencing God's righteousness, maybe from God himself directly and maybe from God's people around them. And that idea is in the Old Testament as well. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed spirit. Don't don't ever misunderstand anything I say as judgment, like I'm condemning everybody. I don't mean it like that. But I will say this, all of us have to repent sometimes. All of us, you and me, all of us have to. Even Jesus' own mom, ready for another mother story? Okay, Jesus' own mom. We know, man, can you imagine how amazing this woman had to be for God to choose her to raise Jesus? What in the world? What an amazing example she is. And we see Jesus interacting with her at the wedding in Cana and several other places. She's the only person at the end of his story on earth. She's the only person beside, there's three. There's three, I messed that up. There's three people, but she's some of the only three people that were at the cross when Jesus was dying. Everybody else had abandoned him. And we see in Acts that she was part of the church that started at Pentecost. She was part of that group that the apostles started the church with. She's named as one of the people there. So we know that she started out amazing and she ended up amazing. But in the middle, there's stories in several of the gospels where Jesus starts his ministry and his mother and his brothers try to shut him down. Here's Mark's version of it. Just jump in the middle so we can keep going. But he says, his mother and brothers came. Standing outside, they sent to him and called him. They're sending him because they want him to stop doing what he's doing. Come home. A crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. You're starting to see a pattern here? Who's righteous? Those who do the will of God. And that accounts to everybody, even Jesus' own mom. That's why throughout the scripture we see The idea of discipline, we see the idea of so many, of restoration and all these things. Let's go back into our passage one more time. Letter to Laodicea. He says, hey, I'm the ultimate authority. I I, I wanna say good job, but I can't. You're not actually doing anything good. You could be refreshing people. You could be healing and restoring people. But honestly, you're just kind of gagging people. You're gagging me. I wish you would do one or the other. I wish you'd get busy doing some good in the world. And then it keeps going, and here's where it comes next, verse 19. Those whom I love, whom I reprove and discipline. Say that one more time. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? What you're doing right now or not doing right now is actually kind of gagging me. And you know what you've done to me? You've locked me out. You say you're a Christian church, but you're, you've locked me out. I'm on your front steps, locked out, knocking on the door. 
But if you let me back in, we can fix this. I'll eat with you at your house. You can come meet with me at my house. We're going to be buddies again. We're going to practice righteousness in this world again. This isn't the end of your story. Just because I'm straight up with you today, Laodicea, I'm not cool with where you're going on this, but I'm still here. I haven't left you. I haven't given up on you. Just let me back in. Are we seeing this? I love the love of Jesus. So here's the last thing that we're going to look at today. It's not the only thing. Righteousness is deep. It's going to take all of our whole lives and eternity beyond that to really grasp the righteousness of God. But there's two more things that it does. And in an ideal sense, at least, this is what a great illustration of how motherhood reflects righteousness. Because righteousness nourishes and nurtures. Would you say that with me? Righteousness nourishes and nurtures. See, God loves to team up with each other and he loves to help us create new things. He loves to help us grow. He loves to teach us to do things we couldn't do before. He loves to watch us slowly become independent. Not independent from him, not cut off the relationship, but independent as in, you never knew how to do this. Now you do. You just do that. Now let's learn something new. You follow me? And that's how good parents do, fathers and mothers. They teach their kids. And on the other side of it all is this dream that they're just going to do the stuff. They're going to live that way. They're going to they're own that vision themselves. They're going to pass it on. Remember Jesus' mom and his brothers trying to shut his ministry down? One of his brothers, James, went on to be a church leader and wrote the book, we call James. And in that, he says this, but, which means you should go back and read the rest of that chapter sometime soon. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Again, this idea of righteousness, what God does for us when he expects us to do for each other, it's a lot like raising kids because you have this vision. You you don't want them to be 100% dependent on you the rest of your life. You don't want to change diapers for 40, 50 years, right? You don't want to spend five years teaching them how to ride a bike. Those are cool moments. Those are things that are great. And then you want to move on. The dream is your kid takes the baton and runs with it, right? And you stay in touch because you love each other and you get to be part of the grandkids if there are grandkids. You follow me on this? But but the real joy in parenting is watching them actually catch the vision and go. And the whole way you're preparing for that. That's what our our group that's called Sticky Faith, that's what we do all the time. If anybody would like to be in that Come talk to me later. But it's all about how do you make that happen. And a lot of that is by intentional teaching, both father and mother, which I think is really significant throughout the Old and New Testament. You you see father and mother. That's not something that got added in trying to make the scriptures more, um, I don't know what the word is, but they add in sisters a lot of places in the New Testament in, in, in a lot of places so that women don't feel excluded. 
But they're not doing that in all the passages that say, honor your father and your mother. All the way through Proverbs when it says, listen to the teachings of your father, hear the words of your mother. At the end of Proverbs, there's Proverbs 31, and it's the sayings of a king named Lemuel, but he's actually quoting his mother, and he says that. These are the wise sayings of my mother. And then that's Proverbs 31. It's both. It's both. Paul, when he's talking to Timothy, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Not exactly sure what his father was up to, but his grandma and his mom were godly women. And Paul says, that's why Timothy believes. That's pretty cool. Revelation chapter three. Here's how this ends. Remember there's a pattern. I'm this. Here's what I see. Wish you'd change this. Here's what could happen if you do. The one who conquers. In this case, that means the one who gets faithful again and stays faithful to the end. The one who actually lives out these ideas. You either get cold in the sense that you start intentionally refreshing the people around you. Not cold as in you don't care at all. Cold as in you're really trying hard to do good things. Or hot, not in the sense that you just feel more when you come to church or whatever, but you're intentionally refreshing and healing and restoring people. You're not just coasting somewhere down the middle. You're not just kind of being there. You're doing righteousness. If we do all of that, if we restore, if we repent, we let Jesus back in. We hear that knock and we let him back in. We do all these things. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. This actually builds on everything we've been covering the last several weeks. And those of you who have been here, I hope you remember, if you were here last week, I want you to close your eyes and not cheat off the card. But it, it's going to be up there regardless. But we're going to say the verse that we learned together last time. Colossians three sixteen. Ready? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Good job. Do you hear the same themes in there? We're nourishing and nurturing each other as well as having that happen directly with God. The the, the word of Christ is dwelling in us richly, which means it's thriving. It's doing stuff. That's the blood that's pumping through our veins. That's the stuff we just can't help but get out and do. We are living out what the spirit in us wants us to do. I don't know what you need to do this morning to get better at that. I'm not judging anybody. But I am telling you one more time, we all need to keep coming back to Christ and listen what he's saying. And maybe there's something that needs fixed. Guess what? It's a good, righteous thing to get that stuff fixed. Would you do that this morning? Maybe it needs to be private and you need to repent 
about something. Maybe it's something that you, God's been asking you to do. You just haven't got around to doing it yet. Maybe that needs to stay private. You can stay exactly where you are and take care of that then. If you're at home, you can do it at home. If you have something you feel like needs to be public, something you need to share with the rest of us, something you need to do with all of us, you can come up here. If you just want prayer or something or anything private else, just come to the back. But as we sing this last song, just like we do every Sunday, this is just something we do to give you a shot to do that. Give you a moment to do that. Whatever you need to do privately or publicly, do that this morning. Do something righteous this morning as we stand and as we sing.